So today the title of my message is this, Rising Above Defeat. I was really tempted to title it, How to Be Defeated. But then I thought, man, that would not be an encouragement for the journey uh, because we don't want to know how to be defeated. We sometimes experience defeat um, and we want to know how to rise above it, how to get out of the place that we find ourselves in. And the thing is, defeat happens in our life, in our journey of life, and also even in our faith. How many of you have ever been just really, really honest right now with me. How many of you have ever been at a place where you've been disappointed and disheartened with God because he didn't answer like you thought he was supposed to? We all have. Defeat happens in our journey of life as well as inside of our journey of faith. So today I'm going to talk about some of the causes for the defeats that we face, but also the encouraging side is what is the cure? How to rise above it. And I hope that this will help uh, someone. Go with me to Joshua chapter 7. I want to say this before we read the passages that we'll read today. And we'll pretty much stick in Joshua chapter 7. I want to remind you of this. Our God has never, ever, ever been defeated. Some of y'all don't believe that. (laughs) Listen. He has never suffered a defeat. That is the God you serve. That is incredible when you think about it. You say, well, pastor, if he's never been defeated and I'm his kid, how do I experience defeat? You're not God. (laughs) So as much as we'd love to have a completely seamless existence, defeat is just part of life. So when we experience it, I want to help you figure out how to rise above it. But the reality of God never having been defeated is a cornerstone of our hope. It's a cornerstone of our faith. It's one of the reasons, if not the reason, that you can trust in God because he is a promise-keeping God who has never once had to tuck tail and run. Amen? So, I'm excited because I know that I serve a God who has never been defeated. The passage we're about to read today happens after chapter 6 in Joshua, which is where we were at last week. In Joshua chapter 6, we heard about the story of the exciting um, victory that happened at Jericho. And then immediately following that, something bad happens. And so today we're going to jump into chapter 7 verse 1 and begin reading. Chapter 7 verse 1, it says this, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Verse 2, it says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, or Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. Look up at me for just a second. Each time that they're going into another place, expanding the territory inside of the promised land that was given to them, every single time they are going to have moments where they wonder what lies on the other side of these walls. 
So Joshua being a, an intelligent military commander at this point, people, leader, he's grown under the tutelage of, uh, of Moses before Moses died, and now he's leading the people. And now he says, okay, Jericho's been conquered. The next city on the map is this city, Ai. And when we, before we go up there, we need to send some spies in to just check it out and see. So verse 3 tells us, they returned to Joshua and they said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Can I just tell you there's a difference between two and 3,000 people? I'm, okay, I'm just reading the Bible here. Um, there's a difference between two and $3,000, right? Okay, there's a difference between having two or 3,000 men go up and attack a city. So the men tell him this in the latter part of verse three, do not make the whole people toil up there for they are few. Verse four, so about 3,000 men went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. So it was a hilled city, a city that was up on a hill. And the people were now tucking tail and running. And as they went down on the descent, they were hit really hard by these enemies. It says something incredible here. It says in the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So they just experienced literally a supernatural victory. And there's so much more I could preach about right now in this message today. But I'm going to try to stick to what I believe the Holy Spirit gave me for you. I want to tell you this though. Immediately after any victory that you have in this life with God's help, there will always be an opportunity for defeat. The devil seeks to steal, to kill, to destroy. You and I, oh, let me say this different. I am stupid enough. I didn't want to call you stupid. I am stupid enough to give in to the temptation sometimes and walk in my own path immediately following a victory because I'm self-confident, because I, yeah, God's on my side. Nothing is impossible. And then all of a sudden you just step right down into the quicksand and find yourself in a place suffering defeat. So we have to be careful. There's a few observations I want to give you just from these first five verses that we've read. The first is this, and old men specifically in this place, and ones that you know, will probably have said this a thousand times before, and it is this. If you want something done right, <laughs> do it yourself. Okay. And now I know I've heard all kinds of talk about this specific point and people are like, well, delegate stuff. You don't have to No, literally, if you want it done the way you want it done. Okay. Do it yourself. So you say, well, pastor, is this a self-help message? It is, but it's a spiritual help message. Here's the thing. This is the point. Joshua trusted men and their words about what they saw instead of him going and seeing for himself. Now, it's not to say that that wasn't an acceptable point of view because they had already sent in spies to Jericho. Joshua was not one that went in. So I understand how he could have replicated that same process and just said, hey, I trust y'all. Why don't you guys go and go tell me what you see up there? But if you want it done right, do it yourself. 
Here's what I want to say about the spiritual application of this. Don't trust that somebody else's spirituality is going to get you where you need to be or where you need to go. Just because your husband or your wife has a strong relationship with the Lord does not mean that you do. And we've said it a million times here. God does not have grandkids. So when I, what I mean when I say that is we can't get in on the coattails of someone else's relationship with God. You've got to put in the work. Amen? Another observation is this. Be careful who you listen to. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't be part of the gossip. Don't, don't entertain that garbage. Okay, that's a side note. They weren't gossiping in this case, but Joshua is listening to people and you've got to be careful, especially if you're at, you're facing a battle in your life. If you're going to go around spouting out the thing that you're dealing with and get his opinion, her opinion, her opinion, his opinion, then you've got all of these voices, but where is the voice of God? So you've got to be careful what you listen to. That's not just about life decisions. That's literally about life. Don't, don't listen to yeah, yeah, and the naysayers and people who want to just talk negatively. Don't hang out with them. Because guess what? Missionary dating never works. Y'all are too, too young or too old to understand the term, okay? Missionary dating, like if I'm a saved believer and I'm like, well, she's really pretty and I, I want to date her. Oh, she, she's not a believer. Oh, I can change that. I'll bring her to church with me. No, what's going to happen is you're going to go downhill. That's exactly what happens. You say, well, no, no, I mean, that's just Nancy. That's just the way she talks. She's just, here's the deal. You hang out with Nancy long enough and there's no Nancy here. I don't. I don't think so, okay? There's no Nancy here. Um, you hang out with Nancy long enough, and what's going to end up happening is you become negative just like her. You say, well, pastor, that's really bold. How do you do that? Just, I mean, you could do what I've done, which is tell them shut up, <laughs> but that might not win you friends. It's not in that book about how to win friends and influence people. Here's what you do is distance yourself. Here's another observation. No two victories look the same. I, I don't know if you are thinking about it like an Israelite, but I try to put myself in the shoes of a Jew who is walking through. They've crossed not only the Red Sea impossibly, now they've crossed the flood stage Jordan River impossibly on dry ground. They've been brought to the city of Jericho and God supernaturally did something amazing without them ever having to, I was going to say lift a finger, but you get what I'm saying, without them having to go to war. And now they go to the next city. And if you're an Israelite, what are you thinking God's going to do? Are you sitting there going, I wonder what he's going to do this time? No, you're probably thinking about the exciting victory you just had. And thinking, well, surely. And in fact, I hear a small nuance there. When they said, don't let all the people go up there and have to toil. Y'all made us walk around Jericho so many times. All the people, the grandmas and the grandpas and the baby. This is what I'm imagining. So they're saying, hey, you know what? Just send a couple thousand. The idea is this. We may be excited about the victory that God hands us in a certain area of our life. But we cannot expect he will do the exact same way the next time. 
God promised to be with them and to lead them as long as they obeyed him. He continued to promise that. His promise was unchangeable, but his methods change. So just because I've seen God move in your life in a certain way does not guarantee that he will do that same method, use that same method in my life. So enough with comparing ourselves to our past experience and victory. Let's think ahead about what God wants to do and how he wants to do it in the future. Another uh, observation is it would seem that the spies were overly confident. I kind of already hit on that. Um, over, overly self-confident, maybe. Uh, maybe they went there and everybody was you know, asleep and no lights were on. And they thought, oh, there's not many people there. And then they showed up and there was more people than they thought. I'm not really sure exactly what happened except for the Lord allowed them to experience this defeat. And I'm going to tell you why. He allowed them to experience this defeat. And this is like a sneak peek at the main point of the message. Because of disobedience. Meanwhile, while we sit around moaning and groaning and complaining and whining, God me, God why, God this, God that, it's your fault. In the middle of all of that, they were experiencing a defeat that they brought upon themselves. The other thing I see just in those first five verses is this. Disappointment is the result of unmet expectations. It says their hearts melted because they thought really, this is my take on it, because they thought they were immune to failure. Surely I serve a God who never fails. So how is it possible that I'm experiencing a defeat? Verse 6 through 15 tells of an intense conversation that Joshua has with God himself. In prayer. And basically Joshua is blaming God for the defeat. Uh, you can read the verses yourself. He whines a bit. And then God says. Get up. Shut up. And then he tells him the truth. As to why they experienced defeat. So I think a lot of times. We get to the place. Where we're complaining whining about. God why God why. And there could very well be. A real reason why we experience defeat. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says this. God speaking during this conversation with Joshua. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them under their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Notice there, the things that they took were devoted to God. And now because they had those things, they themselves were devoted to destruction or destined to be destroyed. God says this clear statement in the end of verse 12. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. I can't cover every reason why we experience defeat because I don't have the time today. But I am going to tell you this. I'm hard pressed to find defeats that are mentioned in the Bible that have much more to do outside of disobedience. The people of God were exiled numerous times. 
stripped of their rights, stripped of their citizenship, carted off to other places, other kingdoms. In fact, during the days of Jesus, they were under another exile. They were, they were there under an occupation of the Roman government during the time. They were experiencing something. And here's the thing. All throughout scripture, those defeats that they experienced, including the things like being exiled, involved them disobeying God. So that may not sound very fun to you because you say, Pastor, I was really looking forward to figuring out how to rise above defeat. Here's the key. (laughs) Obey. Obey. The reason that they experienced the defeat was because of disobedience. And I really think if we take a lesson away from Joshua chapter 7, before you go shooting your mouth off to God, complaining about your life and your circumstance, you might want to take just a moment and have some self-reflection. Just a moment of self-reflection. Because I think that's really necessary. The question that you should ask is this. Am I living in obedience to God and to his word? Every area of my life. Because here's the thing. It's all dominoes. Everything. In fact, this one man that we're about to read about who stole the stuff, hid it in his tent, the entire nation was going to suffer. Don't tell me you can be part of the church of Jesus Christ and the local body and be living in blatant sin and it not affect the people sitting next to you in this very room. It does. It affects us all. So we've got to be very, very, very aware of the fact that our disobedience has more ramifications or or consequences than just for our own self. The reality is this, that statement is true and it has not changed. The defeats, 99.9% of them, were uh, as a result of disobedience. And I believe that's still true today. So the question is, am I living in obedience to God and to his word. Now, when we experience defeat, if we ask ourselves this question, I think we immediately need to take a moment to course correct. God, I'm sorry. I have been heading in the wrong direction. I'm going to repent and walk in this direction. When the Holy Spirit touches you on the shoulder spiritually, okay, when you feel that sense of, ooh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Mm, I shouldn't have done that. Or don't do that and you did it anyway. When you feel that leaning or that um, sense of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, be thankful that he's there. Don't begrudge him. Don't tell him to shut up. Listen to him. He wants to be your guide and your help in this life. Another simple observation about just those two verses, verse 11 and 12, is this. God's presence with you is contingent upon your obedience. Did you hear me? Pastor, I thought it was all grace. I thought Jesus did it all on the cross. Pastor, it's not works. Hold on. Every single time God talks about his love and his presence, there are always attachments. The attachment is your life. Literally. It's your money. It's your kids. It's your career. It's every detail of your life. God wants it all. Can I get an amen? God wants it all. 
So his presence with us is contingent upon our obedience. Verse 16 and following shows how God reveals the culprit. It's a really interesting way that God did things. And again, he doesn't do this every single time something happens. But I encourage you to read it at some point. Uh, The man's name is Achan. We're going to jump down to verse 20, where Achan has been discovered through God's divine direction. And it says in verse 20, And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. Look up at me and listen. If you weren't here last week, let me just help you and make sure that you know this. When they went into Jericho, God said, I'm giving you this city. He let them have the victory. They didn't really have to have any type of war before the walls fell down. Afterwards, God gave very clear instructions and said, light it all on fire. Kill everyone. Don't leave one person. And make sure that when you burn everything and get rid of everything, you keep the silver, the gold, and the important things and bring them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. Like you, they belong to me, God said. So now this is where verse chapter seven, where Achan is talking about his sin against the Lord. And he says, and this is what I did. Verse 21. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So verse 22 says this, Joshua sent messengers, they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. Verse 23, and they took them out of the tent, and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And it says something interesting there. It says, and they laid them down before the Lord. So the whole congregation was affected by this one person's actions. And now they're all standing there because they've been called out tribe by tribe, man by man. And then Achan confesses his sin, says, this is what I did. So everybody's there watching. And when they've got the treasure, they bring it back and they lay it out. And it says they laid them down before the Lord. The observation just from these two or three verses is this. Confess your sins. You're not out of the woods yet. Hey, look at me. Put a smile on your face. How many of you have sinned in the last 90 days? How many of you have sinned in the last 90 minutes? No, don't raise your hand. So we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is not a cop-out to say that. Here's the important part is to confess your sin and say, God, I'm sorry, and repent from your sin. It's not just an apology. We have to make sure that we remind ourselves of that. It is not just simply saying sorry. And I've given you that example before of a kid being told to go tell Sally that he's sorry for hitting her. Sorry. I mean, it's like, that's what happens. They don't mean it. How, how can I see the difference in their life? The next time him and Sally, he and Sally, my English teaching wife, He and Sally are on the playground when he offers to help her up the stairs to the slide. Then I'll know his life has been changed. I'll know that he's actually repentant. 
But in the meantime, when he, sorry, doesn't mean anything. And I think God gets mad and upset when his people think that they can just get off by saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We don't even say I won't do it again. We just say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then we keep going in whatever direction we want. But there's a significant detail here. And it took some major boldness. Of course, the entire nation is looking at you. And they've whittled it down to you standing there in front of them. But he confesses and says, this is what I did. You don't have to confess your sins to me. You have to confess them to the Lord. There are places in the New Testament that say you should confess them one to another and so be healed. I think that's a great thing that the church is missing out. Generally, not our church, but I'm just saying like generally speaking, I think the kingdom of God would benefit if people would be not just apologetic, but confess their wrong towards one another and then see how the Lord can help repair that. The other observation is this. You better give back what belongs to God. You say, well, pastor, I didn't steal any silver or gold from the church. (laughs) Pastor, I didn't. Hold on a second. Is it possible Because we ask ourselves this question, or we need to ask ourselves this question. Am I living in obedience to God and to his word? Is it possible that I've taken something from God? There's scripture that testifies about the fact that God's judgment was on his people for a time. Because he says, you've robbed me by not giving your tithes and offering. So that means I've taken something. I think it's possible if you examine your own life, there's probably moments, maybe you're experiencing it currently, where you've taken time away from God. So, Pastor, how do you do that? By not spending daily time in prayer and daily time in growing in your relationship with the Lord? It's possible that you spend or waste all of your talent outside of the kingdom of God and don't minister and serve in the church. It's possible that you've taken something from God that belongs to him. He's the gift giver. He's the one that supplies all of those things to us. So I think a good question is, or not a question, but a good thought is, give back what belongs to God. And it could be your time. It could be your talent. It could be something financial. Something interesting to take from the passage. Continue reading with me, verse 25. It says this, And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel, sorry kids and parents with kids in here, and all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire, them, he and his family, and stoned them with stones. Verse 26, And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. That would be the day of the writing of this testament. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor, or Achor. That word means Valley of Trouble. Just a side note, when you read the Bible and you see a phrase that says to this day, it doesn't mean to your day. 
It means to the day that the pen hit the parchment and wrote this. So I, I don't know if the, they still call it the Valley of Trouble today in today's day and age. But at that moment, they had still been experiencing the reminder that someone had brought trouble on all the people of God. And God executed judgment, exercised judgment against that person. The curse was removed because of two things. Because of confession and because of obedience. So how do I rise above defeat? How do I get out of where I am? Consider what you must confess and then make sure that you are living in obedience to God. You say, well, pastor, I think I've confessed everything I know to confess. I think I am living in obedience to God. I think I'm still experiencing a defeat. I would encourage you to remind yourself what the difference is between your feeling defeated and you actually being defeated. What's, why, why the difference? The reason why I say that is because you can't allow your mind to be ruled by your feelings. This is not the stuff they talk about <laughs> in the modern society. They say you should rule your life by your feelings. No, you shouldn't. You should let your life be ruled by facts, <laughs> by truth. Does she really love him? Yes, she really does. So what? They had an argument. They still love each other. So you feel distant. Doesn't mean that you are distant. You see what I'm getting at? So in today's day and age, they want to teach our children and your grandchildren, however you feel is the truth. That is your truth. That is a bunch of trash. <laughs> So you can't allow your mind to be ruled by your feelings. If so, none of us would show up to church. None of us would give. None of us would continue to love the person that we're committed to. None of us, if it was just based on feeling. It's not based on feeling. So let me just be clear about that. There's a difference between feeling defeated, which is very possible. I felt run over just like my grandma used to say, slap over. <laughs> I, I feel just run down sometimes. The circumstances of life and maybe the promotion didn't go through like you thought it was going to. Or maybe everything didn't turn out exactly as you had hoped. Or you'd been praying and praying and praying and still hadn't seen the finality of what God was going to do. And you're really frustrated. There's a difference in experiencing those things and experiencing a true defeat in your life. So know the difference and don't let your feelings run your life or rule your mind. You don't have to go there with me. We'll have the verses on the screen. But I want you to hear me when I read this. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Worship team, you can come. At the end of our services, we always do something that we call an encore it's a, it's a moment for us to solidify the message in our heart, also to ask the Lord what he wants from us, how, how to respond to the message. Um, it's just a moment for us to reflect. I want to read this passage to you because I think it's really important in the context of the message today. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, and if you've been a Christian for very long, you've heard some of these verses before. You've heard people, maybe uh, Franklin Graham or Billy Graham, uh, you know, major voices in the public eye talk from these verses. 
Second Chronicles 7, 14 is known well, and it says, if my people who are called by my name, and we know that part, but I want to give you the context of what's happening. Solomon has just dedicated the temple to the Lord. God says, my presence is going to be in this place. And then God shows up in a dream at night to Solomon and has a conversation with him. Verse 13 says something important. It says, God speaking, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send plagues or pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by, by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Verse 15 I love this promise. He says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Talking about the house of God that had just been dedicated and built. You may have heard that verse before, specifically 14. There's something really important to know there. God is not talking to the wicked sinners in the world who have given their life, their soul, and everything to the devil. He's talking about his people. And he says, if I shut up the heavens and there's no rain, if you experience defeat in some way, shape, or form, and in fact, God sometimes sends those things, allows those things, when those moments come, this is what they're to do. They're to do these three things. They're to get humble, be humble. They're to pray and they're to repent. He was talking about his people repenting from their sins in order that God's presence and his joy could be restored with his people. Would you stand with me today? If the main reason that we, as well as the people of God back then, experienced defeat was because of disobedience, then I have to believe, and I agree with the testimony of Scripture, that in order to rise above defeat, we've got to do the three things that are mentioned there in Second Chronicles chapter 7. We've got to have humility. We've got to pray. And we've got to repent. Let me remind you, and I hope this isn't too redundant for us, but I know that we need the reminder from time to time. I kind of gave you a little sneak peek earlier. Repentance is not just saying I'm sorry, but it's actually if I'm headed in this direction, it's me course correcting and going this way. So God says, humble yourself, pray and repent. Turn from those things. Maybe something completely unrelated hit you this morning because of the Holy Spirit's work. I want you to ask him today. Let's close our eyes. I want you to ask him today the same simple prayer that we pray very often. We say this, we say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? It's very possible that God hit a certain area of your heart that may, may not have to do with humility or prayer or daily, whatever. Maybe something completely unrelated. But I encourage you to listen to that small, still voice today and to obey it. God, in these last few moments together,
I pray over Celebrate Church, over your people, over myself, over those who lead in this church, over all of our families. God, I thank you for those who have chosen to be part of this body. Lord, I pray that you would help us to rise above defeat. Lord, help us in our struggle for humility. Help us in our daily walk with you of prayer. Help us to own up to what has happened or what we've done and help us to repent and walk towards you. Lord, it's our desire that your presence remain with us. So God, help us as we seek to obey you and obey your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray.